Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. Hey, good morning. Come on in and have a seat. I appreciate you uh, all mingling, and I'm happy to wait for you to do that. Uh, my name is Ryan. I am on the teaching team here. My wife, Lauren, was up here earlier talking about equip nights, and I would just echo what she said, that uh, we would love to have any one of you into our home to have a conversation and to get to know you and build community and things like that. Um, and that goes out to literally everyone in this room. I don't care your age or stage of life or if you're married and have kids or if you're single. doesn't matter. Uh, you are invited into these equip groups. I, I know it, in a church, no matter how big or how small, it can be hard to get connected. And so we really believe and want um, you all to get connected to some form of community. Uh, and I think that's a great way to do it. So uh, again, my name is Ryan. I'm a part of the teaching team here. Uh, we are in the second week of a series called Upper Room. And Upper Room is, um, Peyton started us off great last week. It was fun. I actually didn't get to see that live. I had to watch it uh, or listen to it online. And it was because I was in the back. I was with kids. I was preaching in kids, um, which was fun. And so now I get to compare what it's like preaching in kids to what it's like preaching in adults. Um, last week, I made some children smell my feet, which was fun. I literally held a little girl upside down by one foot, which was fun. I needed to demonstrate what a sandal looked like, so I was just like, here's a sandal, and I picked her up, hung her upside down. Um, so I don't know if I'm going to be able to beat that this week, but we'll see. So <laughs> yeah, if anyone wants to smell my feet, let me know. <laughs> so upper room, um, first of all, I'm just going to say I think this series is perfect for the environment that we are living in today. And there's a lot of reasons for that, but um, not sure if you've noticed, but currently our world is a little messy. And it's really been messy for a while, but right now there is disunity, there's oppression, there is this incredible need for reconciliation. Reconciliation between one side and another. It can be lots of different things. There are lots of different uh, ways people have taken sides, uh, black versus white, political right versus political left, uh, masks work versus masks don't work. It, whatever it is, we need reconciliation, and for reconciliation, we need Jesus. And um, in my opinion, there should not be a church in the country who doesn't talk about reconciliation pretty much every Sunday, whether it's between human to human or people to Jesus. And the good news is if you're talking about Jesus, if you're sharing the gospel, if you're opening your Bibles, you're talking about reconciliation. Uh, let me pray real quick. God, I pray that you would use me today. Uh, speak through me. Let my words be your words. And I pray, Lord, that we would walk out of this room, out of those doors, different than we walked in today. Um, only because we are faithfully abiding in you and you alone. And help me to uh, communicate what I desire to communicate today. Amen. 
So like I said, if we open our Bibles, we are talking about reconciliation. Uh, way, way back when, in the 1800s, they had kind of two different Bibles. There was the Christian Bible, and there was the slave Bible. And uh, unfortunately, well, the, the, the Christian Bible was the Old Testament and the New Testament as we know it today. The slave Bible, unfortunately, was about 10% as long as the Christian Bible. Same Bible, but they took out 90%. They took out every instance where God liberated people. They took out every part where he used or empowered the oppressed. They took out every part where God initiated unity. All of it was gone because they didn't want the slaves to know that, know that that was biblical, and they didn't want the slaves to be inspired to make change. And so if we don't want to live in unity, you might as well stop reading our Bible. If you don't want reconciliation, you might as well stop reading our Bible because that's what it's about. It's a story of reconciliation. Uh, in John 4, the woman, well, Jesus undid 750 years of hatred between the Jews and Samaritans in two days. Jacob is reconciled to Esau. Joseph is reconciled to his brothers. The prodigal son is reconciled to his father. Over and over again, we read about reconciliation in the Bible. And right now, as a church, there is such need for reconciliation and for unity. And even in our country, you've got half the country devoted to our president and the other half who can't stand him. And you've got half the country who, think, who thinks Biden, the other president, presidential nominee is incompetent and the other half of the country who thinks he's our hope for change. Half of the country thinks masks work, half don't. Half of the country thinks this, half of the country thinks that. Our country is so divided right now and there's no denying that. And our call as followers of Jesus is to bring hope to a broken world, even in the midst of disagreement and everything else going on. And that is exactly what happened in the upper room. Um, the upper room is a place where people of all different backgrounds gathered, all political affiliations came together for a common purpose, and that's to glorify Jesus, to follow Jesus at that time. In that room, you had a group of people that all loved and followed Jesus with everything they had, but they were so different. They came from different towns. They came from different backgrounds. They had different jobs. They had different political beliefs. In that room, in the upper room, were Matthew and Simon the zealot. And they were in a room together, and they had no business being in that room together. Matthew is a tax collector that works for the Roman government, and in the eyes of Simon, he would have been seen as this huge traitor because Simon is described as a religious zealot, which is someone essentially who is sold out for fighting against what Matthew has made all his money doing and how he's made a living. So in the eyes of Simon, Matthew is just this huge traitor. And in any other situation, Matthew and Simon would be oil and water. But in the upper room, they thrive. But only because of Jesus, because Jesus is in that room with us. That, that song we sang was perfect. I never even heard that song before, but it talked about the Father being in the room. And that's kind of what I'm going to be talking about. Jesus brings these two opposites together. They should be enemies, and Jesus makes them family. Two people who have no business getting along are family because of Jesus. And uh, I know how this goes, too, because I'm married <laughs> to a woman, 
I'm a man, she's a woman, we're very opposite. That is a cross-cultural relationship if I've ever seen one. And so if you're married, you're in a cross-cultural relationship. Just know that. Lauren and I come from different backgrounds. We were born in different towns. We were different genders. We had different parents. We went to different schools. We had different spiritual views growing up. Yet God brought us together ultimately for a shared purpose of glorifying God. And that doesn't mean we don't ever disagree. Um, Actually, kind of far from that. We have our occasional disagreements. Um, my, my poor wife has to be married to me. And people always say that marriage is hard, you know, and I agree, marriage can be hard. But uh, Lauren is not the one who makes our marriage hard. That is me. At least that's what she tells me. <laughs> have you ever heard of misophonia? Has anyone in here heard of misophonia? So misophonia is a, I don't know if a disorder is the right word. (laughs) I'll call it disorder. Or it's something, it's a psychological thing. Um, That means certain noises trigger an emotional response in you. And so it, it can be, you know, somebody tapping on a table or typing on a keyboard or um, like a heavy mouth breather. (laughs) And... (laughs) Sounds like you know the type, Heidi, do you know the type that, like, they just ran a 5K and fast forward, and now they're breathing in slow motion for some reason, like, right in your ear? That is something that someone with misophonia could potentially uh, have an emotional trigger from. Uh, Lauren is a little, the mouth breathing does it a little, but for her, it's more chewing, Um, And so, I haven't had popcorn in seven years. It's just not (laughs) worth it. Not worth it. I know. Have you ever tried eating a chip silently? It's impossible. You just... I I eat Pringles. I just... I'm like a giraffe eating an acacia leaf. I just put it in my mouth, let it get soft, and then mash it with my tongue. And so, chips don't work. Popcorn doesn't work and the breathing doesn't work. So aside from eating and breathing, which are a reminder of the two basic functions necessary for human life, I'm fine. So, but I'll try to cut down on those, babe. So the reason that I share all that is uh, I love Lauren more than anyone else on this planet. And I believe that she loves me more than anyone else on this planet. Uh, but there are still times that we just can't get along. And if that's the case, two people who love each other more than anything, if we can't get along, what hope do we have with strangers or with people who vote different than us or with people who look or speak or believe different than us? And I say that maybe making you think that we don't have hope, but the reality is, is that we have an incredible amount of hope because we aren't in it alone. And just like Jesus was in the upper room with Simon and Matthew, Jesus is in the room with us. And without him, we're hopeless, but with him, we can do exactly what he is calling us to do. And so I guess what I want to answer today is in this broken world, in a fractured society where no one can agree, where it's one side versus the other, how do we respond? Like, as Christians, or maybe not even as Christians, as, as 
if there are people in here who don't profess to follow Jesus, still, how do we respond? And that is exactly what Jesus models in the upper room. And so that's what we're going to talk about. When people betray us, when people deny us, when they turn their backs on us, what, how do we respond? Jesus shows us in the upper room. So I'm going to read from John 13. John 13 says this. Just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that the time had come to leave this world to go to the Father. Having loved his dear companions, he continued to love them right to the end. It was supper time. The devil by now had Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, firmly in his grip, all set for the betrayal. Jesus knew that the Father had put him in charge, in complete charge of everything, that he had come from God and was on his way back to God. So he got up from the supper table, set aside his robe, and put on an apron. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the feet of the disciples, drying them with his apron. So just to recap, it's the Last Supper, and Jesus is sharing his last meal, what he knows will be his last meal, uh, with the people he spent the last three-plus years with. Judas is there. He's going to betray Jesus, and Jesus knows that. Peter is there. He's going to deny Jesus, and Jesus knows that. The rest of the disciples are there, and each one of them are going to run away from him in his most deep time of need, and Jesus knows that. And verse 3, verse 3 proves that. It says, the Father had put him in complete charge of everything. He had the power and the authority to end this. The traitors and the deniers and the ones who were just about to bail on him in his deepest time of need were right there in the room, and he could have laid into them, but he doesn't. It says he got up from the supper table, poured water into a basin, and washed their feet. I don't know about you, but if I'm in an argument and suddenly the power shifts to me, I'm like, ha, 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 this is good. And usually the last thing that I want to do or choose to do is serve that person. Maybe serve them up a nice hot plate of revenge or something, but not to actually serve them and wash their feet. That's what Jesus does. He washes their feet. And remember, in those days, everyone is walking around on dusty roads in sandals, and so uh, their feet would get pretty nasty. And it wasn't just dust on those roads. There were animals, and animals would do things on the roads, and that would be there, and the, your feet would just become disgusting, dirty uh, appendages that nobody wanted to touch. And they still kind of are for some people, but... Um, if you were wealthy enough in those days to have a servant, the servant would usually take care of that at the end of the day. But in this case, Jesus becomes the servant. He humbles himself and gets down on his hands and knees, and he washes his disciples' feet. In a, people, or in a room full of people that had different backgrounds than Jesus, had different jobs than him, were, in different, were from different towns, had different political views than him, Jesus looks past those differences, and he serves them. And in a room full of deniers and betrayers and cowards, he serves them. In this time, right, right when Jesus does that, his washing of their feet was in direct contrast to the attitude of their hearts that night. And so that is a powerful thing. Can you imagine if we did that for the deniers and the betrayers and the cowards in our life. 
if we did that for the people who disagree with us? I don't know if you're like me, but if you if somebody like doesn't like a post of mine on Facebook, I'm like, you don't think my kid's cute? You're an idiot. What are you thinking? And then I, it's that, or if somebody votes different than I do, if they look different than I do, if they want gun control and I don't, if they want, if, if they believe something that I don't, whatever it is, I have a tendency to think less of them than I do myself. And Jesus says, nah, that's not how we do it. Get on your knees and serve them. And it's not just don't hate them. It's not just be okay with them, but it's love them and serve them and wash their feet. Invite them over to your house and cook dinner for them and talk to them, just like we were talking about with equip groups, equip night. Like, serve them, welcome them in. I think one of the best ways to learn about someone who's different than you and people who, one of the best ways to love someone you disagree with is to do more things with them. Not less things, do more things with them. And I think we have a tendency to do less things with them or to avoid them completely. Um, I think if we look around our table or if we look around ourselves and see a crowd of people that are just like us, same race, same politics, same religion, even it's time to make some changes. You need to bring these people into your life. In my life, I don't want to say, you're different than me, get away from me. I want to say you're different than me. I want you in my life. I need you in my life. And then when you do spend time with them, if you invite them in or whatever, use that time serving them, not lecturing them. I've never met someone fall in love with Jesus because somebody scolded them, a Christian scolded them about their politics. Uh, We don't convince people with arguments. We convince them with a love that defies any kind of human explanation. And so maybe at this point you're almost offended or a little offended or a little curious, and you're saying, Ryan, hold on. You're telling me that I should have dinner with someone who is intentionally advocating for sin by voting this way or that way. First, let me say this. Neither, the, neither Republicans or Democrats have cornered the market on truth, on justice, on loving your neighbor. Both parties have blood on their hands. Both are imperfect. Both are filled with sinful humans in desperate need of grace. And if you ask me, following the real Jesus makes it pretty impossible to fully align with one political party. Uh, Scott Sauls in a book, he's one of my favorite authors, says the most, the most faithful Christians are going to be too conservative for their liberal liberal friends and too liberal for their conservative friends. And I think he tends to be right. Um, So am I telling you you should have a sinner over for dinner? Yes. (laughs) Jesus did it, and you should too. I really think that our vertical relationship with God can be measured by how we love those horizontally around us. And I think specifically by those by how we love those that we normally wouldn't love. So uh, there have been some great life-changing inventions in my lifetime. The internet, the smartphone, the jelly beans that taste like lawn clippings or earwax, those, uh, just a long list of incredible, 
Those things are disgusting, by the way. The worst thing I've ever tasted in my life is the vomit one, the vomit jelly bean. And I've tasted the actual vomit, so that's... Um, but one of the greatest inventions in the last 10 years is a squeezable mayonnaise jar, right? It comes out in that flat little line, and you can put it on your sandwich. You can skip the knife and the dishes, and you can just squeeze that delicious white lard right onto your turkey sandwich. That is a good invention, but... Going back even further, that would not exist without the mayonnaise itself. And mayonnaise is an incredible invention in and of itself because essentially mayonnaise is oil and water. That's all it is. Two things that absolutely don't mix whatsoever. And so for mayonnaise to even exist, you need to add a third ingredient, which is an egg. And that egg acts as an emulsifier, all right? The proteins in the egg reach out to the oil and bring it in, and it reaches out to the water and brings it in, and it can mix into the deliciousness of mayonnaise. And it it essentially brings two things together that have no business being together. And I think we need to act like an egg. We need to be an emulsifier. We need to bring people together with our love. And I, I shared that last week in kids. I told them to act like an egg. And I meant, like, go love and serve people, but they all just got in a ball on the ground and (laughs) acted like an actual egg. But it didn't quite hit like I had hoped. Um, All over the Bible, we are told, you know, how to do this. John 3.18, dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Romans 12.9 says, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Galatians 5, 6 says the only thing that counts is faith expressed in love. And I could go on and on, obviously, telling you more and more scripture about how we are called to love people. Um, I think we get caught up looking at the person across the table from you or across whatever, and we look at their sin with judgment, and we treat our own sin with patience. We condemn other people's sin while we make an excuse for our own sin. And my prayer for me is that the Holy Spirit would help me switch that up and that I would see my own sin clearly while I treat other people's sin with the grace and the patience that Jesus treats my sin with. And in this us versus them world, um, I think it's easy to define ourselves by who we're against, Republican, Democrat, Uh, Black Lives Matter versus police, whatever it is, instead of defining ourselves by who we're against, let's define ourselves by who we're for. And as Christians, we are for Jesus. And Jesus was for everybody. For God so loved the world. Not for God so loved Republicans or not God so loved those who stand for the national anthem or whatever. God so loved the world all of it, and everyone in it. And we get the same mercies. We are shown the same grace by Jesus. Jesus loved the world, and so should we. Uh, Let's go back to John 13, Jesus washing the disciples' feet. I'm going to keep reading from that. Um, It says, when Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you will never, ever wash my feet. 
Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Simon Peter exclaimed, then wash my hands and head as well, Lord, just, not just my feet. And so Peter realizes that Jesus is going to wash his feet, and Peter, being a wholehearted servant to Jesus, he doesn't want Jesus to serve him. He wants to serve Jesus. He says, no. He says, uh, but then Jesus says, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. So Peter is all in on Jesus, and he's like, well, if that's the case, then don't just wash my feet, wash my hands and my head, wash all of me, Jesus. You know I'm all in. And that's what Peter is. He's all in. Have you ever been all in before? Fully committed to something? I can think of many examples in my life I think I, I want to be all in on. Um, but one of the main examples is me going all in when I asked Lauren to marry me. Um, first of all, I sold a dirt bike to buy an engagement ring. So if that's not all in, I don't know what is. I, had that, I hadn't even rode that thing yet. I had it for two weeks decided I wanted a wife instead of a dirt bike, and so I sold it, and, and at that point, I didn't even, I, I thought she would say yes, I assumed she would say yes, but if I didn't, or she didn't say yes, then I wouldn't have had a wife or a dirt bike, and I would have just been sad and lonely, and having to make a Match.com profile <laughs> with me sitting on a dirt bike that I didn't even own anymore. Um, luckily, she said yes, and when she said yes, and then we got married, and we were all in, all the way, forever, through thick and thin, in sickness and in health, till death do his part, all in. And Peter is that all in with Jesus. He's fully committed, and maybe even more. Um, he says, don't just wash my feet, wash all of me, I'm all in. And this isn't the only time that Peter says he's all in for Jesus. He shows it uh, initially when he drops everything he has to follow Jesus the very first time they meet, and then he shows it when he steps out of the boat onto water to follow Jesus. He walks on water. Um, he shows it when he puts his fishing net on the other side of the boat to bring up the catch of a lifetime, and then a few hours later, after Jesus washes his feet, a few hours later after that, he says it again. And so in Matthew 26, I want to read this. This is what Peter says about his commitment to Jesus. Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. So that's pretty all in, that's saying that even if I have to die, I'm not going to deny you. But with Peter, that crazy amount of resolve, that crazy amount of uh, desire to follow Jesus completely, it disappeared the second Peter realized what it would actually cost for him to follow Jesus. And so Jesus is going to be arrested, and he's going to be killed, and the reality of that trouble that Peter could be in starts to set in, and even, you know, for Peter even being associated with Jesus, that sets in, and he denies knowing Jesus three times in a row. The Romans seize Jesus, and they bring him to a high priest's house, and there's a little servant girl there, and she calls out Peter, and she says, you're one of them, you're with Jesus. And Peter says, he says, I don't know him, I don't even know him. Then later, the same girl sees him again and says it again, and again, Peter says, I don't know him. And then finally, Peter denies Jesus to a whole different group, a bigger group of people, and he does it so emphatically that it says he began to curse and swear and say, a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know him. So literally the same night, a couple hours later, after Peter says, I'm all in, after he says, even if everyone else bails on you, 
After he says, even if I have to die, I won't deny you, Peter denies Jesus a couple hours later. And first of all, that's me every day, unfortunately. I wake up, I say, Jesus, I'm all in. And then not much later, I'm finding ways to bail. I think it's so easy for us to acknowledge Jesus with our words, but deny him with our lifestyle. People hear what we say, and then they compare it to what we actually do, and suddenly they're confused, because they're like, wait, I thought you were all in for Jesus, and now you're saying or doing that. They, we say we follow Jesus, but we really follow what we want Jesus to be. Or we say we follow Jesus and we bail on him the second it starts to get tough, like Peter did. Or we bail on him when we're praying at dinner at a restaurant and somebody looks at us funny and we decide, you know what, Maybe we'll just skip praying for dinner tonight because we're in public. When the disciples left everything to follow Jesus, they didn't get better jobs or more money or more safety. They just got Jesus. And that's enough. Jesus tells us to serve people we disagree with. And oftentimes we say, yep, Jesus, let's do it. I'm in. I'm all in. And then someone tells us to wear a mask or something. We're like, oh, I can't do that. I'm out. Or they tell us, it doesn't matter. They tell us something that doesn't quite mesh with us. It's not that it doesn't mesh with Jesus. It meshes with, doesn't mess with us. And we're like, I'm out. But here's a great thing about Jesus, is he is a God of second chances. And he's a God of third and fourth and fifth chances. After the resurrection, Jesus comes back to Peter and gives him another chance. This is the same guy who had denied Jesus three times when he was in his most desperate need. And he gives Peter a second chance. He asks Peter three times, do you love me? John 21 says this. <laughs> There's a timer up here now. That's new. It's like, Ryan, get off the stage exactly when the timer beeps. Um, <clears throat> it, was, it could have been set for longer. Plus, I pushed it when everyone was still getting their kids. So I have a couple minutes. Um, so John 21, it says, when they finished eating, Peter said, or Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of John, and when he says Simon, son of John, that's Peter, that can be a little confusing, but Peter, uh, Jesus gave Peter the name Peter. His real name was Simon, son of John, and Peter said, or Jesus said, Peter, I'm going to call you Rock, and I'm going to build my church on you, and so this time is actually kind of interesting. Jesus goes back after calling him Peter, Peter, Peter for a long time. He goes back after he had denied Peter, and he kind of, or after Peter, Peter had denied Jesus, and he kind of brings it back and reminds Peter, almost a little bit of a slap in the face for Peter, of like, this is who you were without me. You were, you were Simon. And so he gets slapped in the face a little bit. Not as much as when Jesus called him Satan, but still a bit of a slap. <laughs> So it says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. So Jesus knows Peter loves him. He doesn't need to keep asking. But what Jesus is saying is this. If you love me, 
serve my flock, serve the ones that I love. He's saying, remember what I did for you in the upper room? Remember how I washed your feet when I knew you were going to deny me? Do that. You deny me three times, and I give you three more chances to show me you love me. And even if Peter denied him a thousand more times, Jesus would have kept giving him chance after chance after chance after chance. And in this, Jesus doesn't say, do you love me? Feed me. He doesn't say, do you love me? Come wash my feet. Do you love me? Come do something for me and show me that you love me. He says, feed my sheep. Do you love me? Then serve others. If you love me, feed others. Do things for others, not me. It's not about Jesus in this moment. Jesus is saying, serve others to show me that you love me. After Jesus is done washing the disciples' feet, he pretty much flat out tells them this. So back to John 13, it says, After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, Do you, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you, would awa- you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. So in the upper room, Jesus gathers the deniers and the betrayers and the cowards, and he serves them. And then a few hours later, he dies a gruesome death on a cross for those same deniers and betrayers and cowards. And he said, I want you to go into the world And when you meet those who will deny you and betray you, and because of their fear they won't support you or vote your way or think the way you want them to think or they're a different color than you or a different race or religion or they hate you because you love Jesus, whatever it is, I want you to serve them. I want you to wash their feet, not because they deserve it, but because it's what I did for you. That's what Jesus is asking us. He's asking us to be a part of the reconciliation that this world needs right now. Matthew 5, Jesus is preaching to a group of people in in the uh, Sermon on the Mount, one of Jesus' longest and most popular sermons. And this is what he says. You've heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And it goes on, but it, that first three lines is what I want to land on. You've heard the law that says, love your neighbor, neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. If I follow him, I follow this. And I'm not just civil to people I don't agree with. I'm loving towards them. I show them grace. I invite them in. I eat with them, I wash their feet. To the people who hate my agenda, to the people who vote against the people I support, to the people who vote for policies that I find offensive and sinful, I love them because Jesus loves them. Jesus didn't pick a side and gather his crew and raise his fist in opposition. He stepped across the line of opposition and he loved the people on the other side of it. And as he was being crucified, he prayed for them. Forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. Let's do that. 
Heavenly Father, my cause is not social justice. My cause is and always has been you. My cause is not unity. My cause is and always has been you, Jesus. I pray with all my heart that by loving you and by abiding in you and by following you, I will be one piece of reconciliation that comes toward this world, and I will be a step in the right direction. And I pray that this church, and I pray that every person in this church would do that same thing, that we would follow you in a way that we could not help but love others and care for others and serve others and wash the feet of other people, people who are different, uh, on different political sides than us, people who are different races than us, people who don't believe what we believe and don't like what we like. Jesus, we need you for that. We need you desperately to help us do that, God, because we are sinners and we will fall short of that quickly. But with you in the room with us, with your spirit in us, we can do better. And Jesus, we, you're even closer to us. You are in the room, in the upper room, but you are in us. You're one step closer, God. And so your spirit in us, with your help, we have hope to see this thing happen. We have hope to love the people around us that we disagree with, even the ones that hate us, God. We need you for that. Jesus, we trust that you will do this for us. We invite you in as we go throughout this week. We love you, and we pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.